these are the places where the growth is going to be, and, it, and it's not the traditional cable networks anymore. So now I need to pivot my business and start talking to these people about how I can help them meet their business goals. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 74 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is Michael Smith, and our topic is the creative destruction of OTT. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hello from New York City. Welcome to episode 74 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is one gentleman by the name of Michael Smith, who is such an interesting personality because Michael has a background in entertainment on the cable TV side predominantly. And what you're going to find out about Michael is he rose up through the ranks of promotion and marketing to become a general manager at a TV network. And then he worked as the general manager of digital video channels at Scripps Networks Interactive, which is now part of Scripps Discovery, the big merger and so forth. But since his days there, he's been working as a consultant in the space, really helping people understand all of the changes that are happening in OTT content production, marketing, brand strategy, lifestyle, digital media. I mean, the list goes on. Now, clearly, I'm just reading from his LinkedIn profile here because as you'll discover when we get into this conversation with Michael, there's a lot of terminology and insights that he has that really kind of go over my head from time to time. But I'm here to be your guide and your host. And in good fashion, I unpack a lot of these terms and help you understand, thanks to Michael and his insight, his experience, what's going on in the world of online and digital and streaming and TV and how does it impact you as an agency owner or as a production company or a studio that produces content in those spaces. Well, if that sounds like something you want to listen in on, you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Michael. He was gracious enough to meet me here in Manhattan where I interviewed him at the local audio studio Buttons. So thank you to Rich and his team at Buttons here in Midtown. Really appreciate the use of the facility and you guys being so kind to accommodate us. Okay, without further yakking on my part, let's get into my conversation with Michael Smith around the creative destruction of OTT. Well, you're, I'm laughing because whenever I hear 72 and sunny, I think we're in Los Angeles, but we're actually in New York. We're in New York. The humidity's low. We're actually one of those uh, maybe 80 days a year when New York has great weather and the other 300, <laughs> whatever, 240 are, are either too cold, too hot, or, or something else. Well, I'm fortunate because when I showed up, everyone said, you came at just the right time because yesterday it was 100. Yeah, yeah. And then it was 80 when I got here. But New York's not the people. It's the weather and then the, I mean, it's, I'm sorry, it's not the, the, the weather. It's the people and the energy that, 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 yeah, that brings people That's there. absolutely right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And, and that amazing collision of all these people and ethnicities and ideas that come from all over the world and concentrate here. How long have you been in, in New York? I've been here about 21 years. Whoa. So I moved here from actually from L.A. and where I started uh, most of my career. And, but I've been here 21 years. Amazing. Um, all right, so here's here's something I want to ask. How do you how do you describe 
yourself nowadays when somebody says, oh, hey, hey, Michael, like if I'm in an elevator and I go, oh, real quick, what is it? Who are you? What do you do? How do you describe yourself? Yeah, it's actually an interesting time in my career because after about 30 years in the business, working for companies, large companies, I left uh, the Discovery Networks in November and have been consulting. And, 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 and when I first left, I kind of took some time off just to say, you know, what do you want to do next? What's your next chapter? And while I was doing that, a lot of people started to reach out to me for advice on things, whether it was small creative entrepreneurs or whether it were some companies or individuals. And I found that I really enjoyed this um, this process of sharing things that I had learned throughout my career with, with other people. And so I said, let me tr- give this a shot and see if I can make a living at it for a little while. So I'm curious, when you say creative entrepreneurs, um, have any of those been agencies, studios, production companies, those kinds of folks? You know, a wide range of people, both on the creative side and on the technology and, produ- and programming and production side. I think there, you know, there seems to be a period in the industry of, of great, um, I'd say, dislocation and change. Yeah, and course. so it's creating a lot of uh, people who are kind of taking a second look at where to, what to do next. Is it in a company? Is it to start their own company? Is it to um, you know form loose confederations with other people uh, who share similar creative backgrounds? It's 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 really exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say this. If I'm going to be over dramatic here, but clearly, if you were buying a, a ticket and investing. Uh, to take a trip across the ocean and you found out you were boarding the Titanic, you might reconsider your <laughs> career choice, right? You might be saying, hey, maybe I should look at some other options. So let's do this. Let's real quickly, I would love to almost do a little bullet list of of your background because mm-hmm. I think when people hear where you've been and what you've done, they're going to sort of that light bulb of, oh, that's that's really interesting. But I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to start at the beginning and step? Yeah, you know, I'll, talk, I'll start at backwards. the very, very beginning of what I've always was uh, most inspired to do. And it goes back to when I was a student in high school. I remember watching, I used to be a huge fan of television. And I remember I used to have a television set in my bedroom. And after my parents went to sleep, I'd turn it back on and keep the volume down really low and watch um, um, primetime television when I was supposed to be in bed. But I remember always being impressed and inspired by the little trailers that ran in between the shows that talked about what was coming up next and what was going to be coming up on the next season. And I I never forget a campaign back in the late 70s that was done by ABC, and it was called Still the One. And it it took a very popular pop song. And ABC, I think it hit number one for the first time in prime time. And they made this incredible branding campaign based on the song Still the One, where they had people all all over the country with a number one and all their talent. And I thought, who gets to make these really cool movies about TV? And I had no idea what that job was or what that role was, but I said, that's what I would love to do someday. And I remember... um, dreaming about that. And when I got to college, I met my first internship was with a, a local TV station in, in San Francisco. I went to Stanford University in the, in the Bay Area, and it was in the creative services department, the promo department. And I, the light went on that, you know, this is something that I really enjoy and really want to do. And so uh, after I got out of um, graduate school, I came to New York and I worked in advertising for um, Young and Rubicam Advertising. And then uh, and then I went to CBS television for a couple of years in, in what's called affiliate sales. And but but I, st- I never could get close to that actual job of being of doing the promo work itself. And I thought, okay, I got from advertising into a big network, but I'm still not doing promo yet. And so I got another job at uh, at Disney Channel, which was in its early days, and I was still in sales and marketing and not in promo. 
and had this really amazing uh, opportunity because there was another guy who, who was in sales with me who was a frustrated sort of Broadway actor person who wanted to get into uh, – he wanted to get more into programming. And so we had this crazy idea to write a little mini musical comedy uh, about the life of being a sales rep. And we performed it at one of our corporate sales events um, where we got all the, the corporate sales team together in um, Arizona. And, you know, how the sales departments have annual sales retreats. And so just as a lark, we, we got a couple other people in the department and we wrote some original music and shot some video and put on this little show about the life of, uh, of being a sales, a sales rep. Imagine sort of a spoof of It's a Wonderful Life. And so... There were people from the L.A. Disney office who, in the, on the creative side who happened to be there that day presenting things about the studio to the sales team. And they stayed for the dinner and they saw the performance. And about three weeks later, I got a call to come and talk about a job at Disney Channel in what's called creative development, creative development, creative services. Basically, the people who create the interstitial and trailer material that goes between the shows on Disney Channel. Okay. So I got plucked from a job as a sales rep in the New York office and came out to L.A. and was a director of of on-air promotion for Disney Channel. So just to clarify terms here, so for anyone that doesn't understand even what the word word promo means, okay, in, Mm -hmm. in, in television per se... Um, yeah, I like the little description you just said a second ago. I, I want to make the movies about television. Yeah, it's, bas- it's basically the, the, the creative stories that inspire people to consume and engage with the content more. Right. more. I've, I've also used the term, these, it's the commercials that advertise the TV shows. Yeah, simple, simple <laughs> right? as that. Okay, it, yeah. so now you're finally working in, in promo and... From there, you continued on that path. So that was a, quite a, a shift in your career at that point, because now you're a creative and you're doing promo. Where did where did where did yeah I worked did this, in yeah, through, I worked in there. promo and uh, for 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 Disney Channel and was responsible for a block of programming on the ABC TV network called Disney's One Saturday Morning, and then I also worked on the launch of Disney Channel in Asia and helped set up the first promo department for Disney Channel Asia, and then I wanted a role that where I could really um, influence the, an entire brand. One of the things about at the Walt Disney Company is that there are so many various brands within the company and so many different people and silos of people who are responsible for this particular theatrical film or this particular um, piece of piece of the brand. And I wanted a role where I could really shape a, a brand. Um, entirely um, within 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 my team, and so I went to a smaller company, a, a small company, which at the time was only about three or four years old. It was called the Food Network. It was here in New York. And <laughs> I've so, heard of it. <laughs> so I came back to New York, and I was actually they were actually were were freelancing or uh, outsourcing all of their creative services and on-air promotion work to outside um, agencies. One of them was called uh, Tim, Miller, Tim Miller Entertainment, which some people may remember in the industry. Uh, and so their head of marketing wanted to start the first in-house pr- uh, promo department, and I was the first staff uh, VP of creative services for, for, for Food Network. And so another great – so um, we're going to do a little glossary in a minute, but another term you just dropped there that I think is good to expand on a bit is the term agency. So in this context – a lot of listeners might run a studio, they might run a production company, they're not, they don't think of themselves as an agency. But if a TV network was to engage them, the TV network would probably refer to them as an agency. We're going out of house to produce this promo, this creative, and we hire an agency. So th- that was out of house, but when you came there, you started building an in-house agency or in-house promo department. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Food Network was relatively new, and, and most startup 
companies, I think, uh, will outsource as much as they can the, as they build their business and, and build their resources. So Food Network had in-house programming, programming and production people, some sales people, uh, some marketing people, but they had just started to lean into the honor prom- promotion function more and, and needed to go beyond Using agencies and, and have their own have their own in house. And were they part of Scripps at that time or not yet? No, they were actually an individually. Uh, they were uh, owned by a small newspaper uh, company and television uh, station company, and that's where Scripps actually bought them from. I um, see. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting story about Food Network that it actually started uh, as a public access channel <laughs> up in I think it was in Connecticut. There's a, a cooking school called Johnson and Wales. And the one of the, the guys at the local cable system up there thought it'd be a cool idea to put cameras in the classrooms at, at the cooking academy and broadcast that on the local cable system. And when they did that, it, it, got, it caught some traction. And then some investors leaned in and said, you know, what if we took this thing and made it a national television network? And then, yeah. and then, then it was more. You think that might work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. so from there, then uh, you... you I don't know if this was before or after the scripts thing, but you mm-hmm. then worked on cooking, and you continued to go, uh, I guess, up in, continue to work in promo. But then there was another shift. What was that? Yeah, you know, actually, one of the things, one of the things that, that, that happened, and I think it happens to a lot of people who work in uh, in-house creative roles, is that at some point, you, you have to make a choice of whether you're going to stay as a... Uh, as a pure creative person working on the creative elements, or are you going to grow more into management and strategy? And I decided to to take the management and strategy side. It's a, it's a tough choice because you're you know you're no longer in the edit room, you're no longer writing, you're no longer really hands on in the creative. Uh, but you get involved in some other things that are also I think equally as exciting in terms of growing, mentoring a team, strategizing, figuring out how to build a brand. And so my role expanded into being the uh, head of brand strategy and and uh, and creative for for the company. So I got involved with all of our marketing and also creating new businesses for the company. So Food Network, we launched a magazine, we launched a, a cookware line, we launched uh, uh, restaurants, we launched uh, experiential events, and so we really took the brand to another um, to another level. And when and another project that we we considered was actually launching a second network. And uh, as we had moved Food Network to be more of a entertainment channel to help broaden our appeal, and you know, Food Network went from being basically cooks in a in a studio cooking to competition shows like Food Network Star and Chopped, and you know, uh, we found that there were actually people who missed the old Food Network and missed chefs in the kitchen <laughs> cooking. So we started a second network called Cooking Channel, and uh, and then that gave me an opportunity to actually become more of a general manager. So I was in charge of programming and marketing and production and sales and all all the all the parts of the brand. And uh, after doing that for about six, about six years, um, I think uh, I recognized as, lo- as well as some other people in our company that the industry was going through this really seismic shift from linear uh, traditional distribution of, of television to streaming. And we didn't really have a strategy in our company on what to do and how to uh, tackle that, uh, that challenge. And so I moved into a role about three I think three, four years ago, to start thinking about how we could uh, um, leverage our assets and opportunities in that space uh, as, as Scripps. When Scripps is, for people who aren't familiar, Scripps is a small newspaper company that over the years grew to be one of the larger cable 
network owners. Uh, Scripps owns or owned uh, HETV, Food Network, Travel Channel, Do-It-Yourself Network, Cooking Channel, and Great American Country Channel. And Scripps was acquired last year by Discovery. Yeah, I find that story very interesting because I I was running my agency slash production company, um, and Scripps was a big client of mine. So we did upfronts for Scripps. We, we re- rebranded GAC. So I was very much like in the halls around you. We never worked together, but I'm very very familiar with that that arc. And Scripps ultimately became a powerhouse today that everyone knows. Oh, Scripps Discovery, yeah, household name, but they came from quite humble origins. Now let me let's do a little glossary here uh, because there are a couple terms that I know we're going to hit on, and I want to make sure people actually understand what the heck we're talking about. So when we talk about linear. What does linear mean compared to streaming? Well, I think that the best way to think about it is what are the ways that people interact with the television content and how the content is distributed to them. So the traditional way initially was that TV content was sent up over broadcast uh, airways through towers that beamed a signal to TV sets with little antennas on the back of them. Which now sounds so (laughs) archaic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's funny. It's almost uh, come 360 because you think about when you use your your 4G telephone to get television or any kind of video service, you're basically... Uh, have a little radio receiver in your phone that's getting um, a signal beamed from a cell phone tower. So that's the way television started. Uh, Then we went to cable where the signal was sent through cable wires um, that are plugged into your television set. but in both of those systems, the television shows themselves were sent in a linear fashion, meaning that they were fed one show at a time and you as a viewer had to uh, tune into a channel and linearly consume them as they came down the the assembly right. line, <laughs> or record them if you have if you had a DVR, yeah, that sort a, of thing. But that was it, yeah. Or yeah, in fact, be, the, the when they launched the Sony Betamax in the mid seventies, the, the original ad for the product was TV on your own schedule. Mm-hmm. People think of VCRs as something to watch movies, but they actually was it was the first DVR. The idea of the of a, of a VCR was to allow people to kind of stop that linear feed <laughs> and save shows to yeah. watch when they wanted to. Sure. Now we have thanks to digital technology, the shows are basically a file that's in the cloud, and you access the the, the file whenever you want. So television can be consumed linearly if you like. It can, you consider that like a playlist on your, let's say you're listening to a playlist on Spotify or something. That's the bunch of shows that are just coming to you in a, in a, in a quote, linear feed. But you also have the ability to individually pick the things that you want to watch individually. So television today, to me, I think is a, it's just a combination of linear and what we call video on demand. It's just the ability to consume the content any way you want. And, and, and that's the exciting thing about where we are right now. So video on demand, there's, there's a couple acronyms that people hear a lot and we can unpack them because that's VOD, mm-hmm. right? So when we say VOD, we mean video on demand, meaning I can tap something on my phone or on my TV set, and it essentially requests that show, and it streams to my device. Yeah. Okay. Now, SVOD, AVOD, there's some little nuances of video on demand. Can you tell us what those are? Because I know we're going to get into those as we talk about where things are going. Oh, yeah. I think the A and the S are just talking about how the person who makes the content monetizes, which is another word that I 
one of the words I think is one of these modern words that we ought to just say how they make money <laughs> off, <laughs> off the off the just, con- off the content. Yeah, just call it what it is. And to monetize and all. But the there are two ways to, to do it, and there have always been two ways typically in entertainment to make money. One is to charge people directly for the entertainment itself. Get you know, think about going to a concert, you pay for the tickets. And the second way to make money is that if you can aggregate people who haven't who are paying attention to your entertainment, you can sell that attentive audience to advertisers or to marketers. And that's the second way that we make money in the entertainment business. So, so this is the S and the A. And the A. And so you have advertising-supported video on demand, which is which are um, videos that have ads inserted in them. And then you have subscription video on demand, which are videos that you pay a fee for that have no ads. And, and the models, you know, historically in television, it seems that Content that's extremely high engagement, content that I, I use the um, analogy that if it's content that if you're watching it and your mother called you, you would either pause the content or you would let your mother's call go to voicemail because you're so engaged in this content. And that's typically content that people subscribe to. They want to pay for. They don't want interruptions in that content. And then there's other content that's more what I call passively viewed content, which is content that you know, you might be cooking while you're watching, or talking while you're watching it, or talking to your girlfriend, or checking, you know, checking your email or your Facebook feed. It's content that it's nice to have. It's comfortable. It's almost like a comfort food, but it's not super high engagement. And that's content that you don't mind having ads running. Think of court shows, cooking shows, um, news updates, talk shows, uh, and the industry typically um, has broken into that. Uh, subscription versus ad model. If you can go back to HBO and Showtime or super high engagement subscription channels. And then you have, you know, um, your typical cable channel that's got lots of ads in it. Well, I I appreciate that distinction because it's it's a very subjective distinction. But yet when you explain to me, I say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I would probably take all the shows that I watch and could easily drop them into one of those two categories. But if somebody said, can you tell me specifically what's the checklist or what's the criteria, I, I would struggle. It's more of a, no, that's kind of a thing I'm, I'm just going to have on and it's background, it's, it's noise, it's filler, whatever. But that, oh, I'm going to turn off the lights, I'm going to focus, and if my, sure, if my phone rings, I'm going to let it go to voicemail. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a very big distinction in terms of uh, the types of networks and what their f- focus is, what types of content they're trying to aggregate, how they make their money and so forth. Uh, one other one other question I just want to say, or term I want to mention is OTT, which stands for over the top, right? And this is, I would just say, we don't necessarily need to define the term, but generally when we say OTT, what do we mean by this over the top? We're, we're just meaning anything that is not coming over the air or over a cable, and instead is coming over the internet. In yeah, effect. I think if you think of a, a television set, as a video display device, and where is it getting its video from? Initially, it was getting its video from an antenna that picked up broadcast signals. Then it started to get its signal from a coaxial cable that was plugged into the back that um, got a signal that was from a cable decoder box that um, put pictures on the screen. And now today, the, the, that monitor at TV set is getting signals directly from the internet that aren't coming through the, the air and aren't coming through uh, a cable box, but are coming directly from, think of it as 
websites on your on your television set. And that way of of distributing video is is called streaming video and called over the top. And the way the reason why it's called over the top is people would say that it means it's over it's over the top of old-fashioned cable. Right. Um, so so um it's 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 exciting in the sense that it allows so many more content providers access to reaching viewers without having to go through cable providers uh, and cable distrib- distributors to get to consumers. Uh, but it also creates a lot of challenge and disruption in the industry because <laughs> the traditional business, uh, if you think about what happened to the music business when consumers could get music over the top from the internet without having to get music off of CDs and what that did to the music business. Yeah, sure. So, Yeah, and it's impacted the labels, obviously the artists. Some artists now can go direct. So in a way, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, OTT is a big part of what's driving this removal of the middleman traditionally that, that now perhaps a Netflix can go right to a consumer and deliver content right to a consumer as long as they have an internet connection. So that, that's obviously creating a lot of disruption. Yeah, I think it, I think it's just creating different middlemen or or just redefining what the value chain is. Mm-hmm. So if the middleman was a cable distributor before, uh, now if let's say you're a content maker, you you could still say that there's a middleman in the sense that you need to go to Netflix to get your show um, distributed to people. Right. Um, you could create your own app and put and distribute your show yourself, um, but. You don't have the resources to market it and to get reach, and so you still have to go to Netflix and or Hulu or Amazon or s- some new middleman to, to, yeah. to reach to reach the consumer. Well, it's an interesting yeah. distinction you're making because, in a way, the middleman moved upstream, uh, and that created a lot of opportunity, a lot of disruption. But there, the, there's always a chain. Mm-hmm. Like there's always this supply chain, and the chain's not not going away. But w- where the middlemen are, where the value is really created, where what that that's that shift, I think maybe is the better way of saying what is at the root of the disruption. Yeah, I think one of the big changes is that in the in the cable era, the the way of getting content to people really was built around creating these very targeted channels that were branded as uh, navigation tools to help people understand, if I want news, I go to CNN. If I want music, I go to MTV. If I want women's programming, I go to Lifetime. And so there was a lot of resources spent on this brand building and packaging. And I think it created a lot of jobs and opportunities for people who did branding and packaging of of content. Uh, A lot of creative agencies that did that. Yeah, present company included. (laughs) Now we're in a world, at least at this stage where it seems that we're going to these mega portals that almost shopping malls that hold a wide variety of content and instead of using branded branded destinations to organize and categorize the content they use AI algorithms to help people search for the content so that's creating a, some stress for people that used to do branding and packaging because now an AI algorithm is basically creating a you know women's channel within if you want women's content in Netflix they have a little you know it'll know that you like to watch this content it'll feed it to you and recommend it to you in a little bundle it'll say because you like these women's titles well that used to be lifetime and that used to be a whole branding department for lifetime but now it's not now it's just an algorithm within within Netflix doing that so um, that's that to me a huge disruption all right now you've gotten to like the juiciest topic I think I want to get into today which is so beautiful I love how we arrived at, arrived at this organically because the people listening 
most likely fall into the category of an owner of a studio, a production company, a motion design shop, what have you. And a lot of these folks, of course, do work in the entertainment industry. They do promo work. They do branding work. Um, they might work for some of the OTT people. They might do projects for Netflix and Amazon and so forth. They, of course, uh, when you describe what's happening, they hear, this is what keeps them up at night. Right. They, they wake up at two in the morning and they think, wow, the budgets are going down. We didn't get that shot at that big rebrand. In fact, the rebrand that we did was the budget was half the size. We didn't even win it because there were 10 other agencies competing for it. Um, all these promo budgets are going down or they're going away or they're just going in house. Right. There's all this disruption. Mm -hmm. uh, should the agencies that are working in that space be concerned or are they just is the cheese just moving and they need to follow it? Yeah, I think that the a little bit of both. They should be concerned, and the cheese is moving. I, I think that the traditional branded cable network business is not a growth business right now because if you think of where the eyeballs are moving to, people are watching those ways of getting television less and are watching the these mega the streaming mega mall services more. So that means that those companies that have these branded cable networks recognize this and are starting to cut back on their investments in, in those networks and starting to shift their investments to uh, um, to potential streaming opportunities or some of the companies are just consolidating and merging with other companies or selling their companies if you look at Time Warner and Fox and you know now CBS Viacom and Scripps and Discovery so there are these these guys aren't seeing traditional cable networks as a, as a growth business and so they're really um, trying to cut costs as much as they can at those networks. So that means there's not going to be a lot of branding. There's not going to be a lot of new re, um, brand campaigns and image campaigns and promo spots and uh, as, as there was 10 or 15 years ago when they were trying to grow MTV and they were trying to grow um, you know, FX. So the question is, okay, well, where in the industry is the growth happening? Because we do know that people are watching more video than ever before in history. Indeed. So the eyeballs have shifted away from cable, but they've shifted to new sources um, of watching video. And, and the most popular of those, obviously, are the big streaming services. But there are a lot of other places that people are getting video now. People are going to House to watch video. People are going to Pinterest to watch video. People are going to, right. you know, to, to Twitter to watch video. Right. Snapchat. We had Rita and, you know, on, on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. There, there, are, there are, you know, Snapchat. There are, there are going to be, I think there are even going to be other sources, other companies, brands are going to start creating their own, you know, their own video portals and channels. Um, so, like you sent me the link to Mailchimp. Yeah, Mailchimp. Yeah, I thought <laughs> they're was really content. Yeah, they're what? their own content about yeah. about entrepreneurs and businesses. I mean, I, I guess they're going to become like their own sort of CNBC, uh, you know, reality show channel. Um, so, uh, then as a you know creative studio. You have to say, okay, well, then other people in other places in the business are making video and are needing to market that video and brand that video and re and build engagement and viewership of their video. So these are the places where the growth is going to be, and it, and it's not the traditional cable networks anymore. So now I need to pivot my business and start talking to these people about how I can help them meet their business goals. And it's tricky because you're used to dealing with the same kinds of clients and the same kinds of people, and it's an inertia to, to, uh, that builds up. And it's hard to say, okay, now I've got to stop calling on A&E and go talk to MailChimp. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I, I so appreciate how practical you're, you're putting this because I, I was just having dinner last night with two principals uh, that run a really killer agency, d historically done a lot of work for Discovery, Scripps, mm -hmm. Nat Geo, those kinds of folks. And th there's this... 
angst, of course, of, well, should we do this? Should we do that? And I think if you really boil it down, you've described it well, that there, there's coming this uh, there's this coming shift or happening shift where a lot of the agencies that are in that space are going to be fighting over the table scraps because the cheese is, is, is moving. Uh, and part of the challenge, I think, is when I tell an agency owner, oh, go you know, follow the eyeballs. Where are the eyeballs going? Uh, a lot of times they would look at someone like a Netflix and say, well, I don't even know what a promo is in Netflix world because they have an algorithm. Like, I don't find out about shows because I'm watching Netflix and I see a promo and it says tune in Tuesday night to watch a next episode of Chopped. Yeah. It's, it's a different experience. And so they, the agencies wonder, well, what does marketing and promo even mean in that world? I don't understand it. And my encouragement is, right, <laughs> but ask the questions. You've got to be curious because obviously Netflix is trying to solve that problem, help them figure it out. But help MailChimp figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that promo, though, if you think of the term creative services, which I really like that better than promo, because it means that you know, creative service professionals were people that provide creative services. Those services might be promos. They might. Be, it's services that leverage creativity to help uh, market and drive brands. And that, and we have to be flexible enough to understand that that's going to evolve over time. So I remember when I got in the business scene you know, in the in the uh, in the eighties. Uh, it, the industry conference was called the BPME. It was called the Broadcast Promotion and Marketing Executives um, Conference. And this is because there was no cable at the time, so it was all broadcast stations. And, and basically what creative services meant was you worked at a local TV station making tune-in spots for the local news. And that was and that, Or you worked at a, a syndicated studio uh, that made syndicated shows, and you made promos for the, the Jerry Springer show and the other syndicated shows. And then there were some network people who made promos for network shows. But but that, there was no real branding or image stuff or you know a whole lot of graphics. It was just making promos for broadcast TV stations. Then all of a sudden, this cable industry um, came to life with all these super branded networks that were all about the image and the style. I want my MTV campaigns, you know, all, all the things Viacom did and what Nickelodeon did. And, and it sort of created a whole new type of creativity. And so the industry morphed into people making image spots and making you know, all kinds of what they call IDs and interstitials. And uh, and the event was rebranded from BPME to Promax. Mm. And, the, and that was sort of era two in, in this industry. Yeah, sure. Now we're moving into era three, this digital era, and what it means to make creative service elements, creative services elements, uh, is going to be different than, right. than, than it was in era two. And so I think that's what you were alluding to, that we've got to kind of figure out what that is. And a good example is if you think about Netflix. Yeah, they have an AI algorithm that does the categorization of the content. So you don't need maybe to make brand spots for, you know, this is the romance part of Netflix or this is the, the I don't know, the food part of Netflix. But the thing that they are doing is... Um, in order to get people to engage more and watch more content, they've decided that they want to have video trailer previews for every single piece of content. So it's almost like episodic spots for all you know, 700,000 pieces of content in their library. That is a huge, um, huge undertaking, undertaking yeah. and requires 
a ton of creative services producers and and people to make all of this stuff. Plus, they're also you know expanding inter- internationally, so they're doing international you know, different language versions of all of these um, quote promos and trailers uh, um, that which creates all kinds of special challenges and opportunities. So I would argue that they have you know huge creative services needs. It's just different kinds of needs than a traditional linear cable network would have. Well, I'm 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 sitting here thinking about you talked about that shift from you said it was BPME yeah okay to Promax BDA and how Promax BDA even shifted recently and just became Promax mm-hmm. so the Broadcast Design Association element of it got dropped yeah so that symbolizes something right uh, I wonder if Promax in a few years will not be Promax because it's not promotion it's something Creative Services um, as you described but it's interesting I, I'm thinking of how. Maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was this really interesting debate happening in the marketing promotions, Promax and BDA world of is the channel the brand or is the show the brand, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately, the show won, right? There was this big argument of, no, people go to uh, A&E and then whatever A&E has, they watch that. And other people would say, no, they go to A&E because it has... What's what's a great show on A and E right now? Oh, <laughs> Live PD. Okay, yeah. so they go to Live PD, and that's really all they care about. And I can remember my daughter, uh, as, as she's now uh, almost eighteen. I can remember this era when she was really just watching streaming, and she was watching Netflix. And I would always ask her things like, uh, "Oh, what what uh, what channel are you watching?" And she, her answer was always, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. Almost like I don't even know what a channel is, Dad. It was be I'm just watching this show. And when Netflix came on, of course, that became a huge uh, source of content for her. She loved it. Mm-hmm. But then we even entered an era when I would ask her, hey, Emma, what are you watching? And she would say, I'm watching this show. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Is that on Netflix? And she would say, I don't know. Oh, no, I think it's on Amazon. No, maybe it's on who I forget. So think about that from a branding distinction. Right? The, in the old days, we created all this promotional stuff and creative to drive people to help them navigate and find things. And that shift is now, again, that it's still important for people to find things, but that destination, that brand, uh, I forget, you may use the term almost like a container. Yeah. Is shifted. So if you were, if you were running an agency today, what would you be, would, you're looking at that trend and you would be saying, okay, the growth is not in cable. It's not in linear. Uh, is it is it simple as simple as oh it's in it's in OTT I'm going to go to the AVOD and SVOD world and I'm going to go play there, but clearly I'm not just going to go sell promo I need to sell creative services I mean what kind of questions would you be asking what what would you be thinking about Yeah, it's a lot to uh, unpack. I, I guess the the, the, the um, on the thing about brand versus show I think that that's it's the answer is both It's always been. Both. If you think about um, going to a uh, local uh, pharmacy to buy, uh, I don't know, let's say some some toothpaste, there's brand Walgreens, but there's the toothpaste Crest. It's not one or the other. Now, if I asked you where'd you get that uh, Crest from, you might forget and say, oh, I don't. I get it from Walgreens. I get it from CVS. I don't remember what brand it was. But then again. If I, if you were thinking about, well, I need to get some toothpaste, you might decide to go to Walgreens because, you know, I love Walgreens and they've got good prices and I've got my Walgreens loyalty card and all, uh, and all that. So I think the two of them work together. I think in cable television, when cable was not doing as much original programming, uh, 
the brand in the early days of cable, the brands were really trying to just establish themselves as destinations for a promise of what they could be in the in the future. And so they said, you know, MTV said we're the music destination, but they weren't making any of their own content. They were running music videos. As the brand started becoming making more original content, then their actual show assets became stronger and more um, well-known. And then people started recognizing, yeah, I love real world. And do I know if real world runs on MTV or not? Does it matter? It's more about the show. Um, So so I think that's just a natural tension that that, that goes along. Now I think that people say, oh, I love the shows. I remember the shows on Netflix, but I don't remember that they actually come from Netflix. That's the way it was up until now, but now people are saying for Netflix to survive, they're going to have to make the brand a big deal. So people will say, I need to buy Netflix instead of buying Disney Plus because did Netflix really matters? Right. Um, I need to get Netflix instead of Hulu. Mm-hmm. And everybody's starting to pull their content back to their own individual services. So now brand is becoming important again. Interesting. Um, um, so uh, I think that that dance is going to continue. But to, to your second question about where do you go as an agency to find... Um, opportunities, I think you have to look at the places that the eyeballs are going to. So step back and think, yeah, your daughter, where is she watching video now versus where she was watching video before? And I know my, I have a five or a four year old daughter, and, and uh, I think about when I used to work at Disney Channel, kids would watch Disney Channel. My daughter now rarely watches um, traditional channels. She's just hooked to her uh, Fire tablet and YouTube videos. Mm. And the brands and IP that she's really connected to are these YouTubers um, who have their individual channels. And some of them are huge, some of them get billions of views. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking in my mind, you know, these YouTubers that get billions of views, there's a, there's a um, like this dad and a couple of daughters, and they make their own little original series. And it's just, just thinking, what if you approach them? And, you know, they have their own YouTube channel and their own custom videos, but help them take it to the next level. Maybe, you know, we help you guys do some even more compelling teaser videos that will drive more traction to your channel. Maybe we help you do some additional, maybe some branded content that you guys haven't been leveraging um, because now you've got so much traction. We can get you brands and we can make you some higher quality videos that will attract higher and brands. Help you monetize. Help you monetize better. <laughs> you know, that maybe word. We, can, we can do some partnerships with you. Maybe we can do some sizzle videos to help you get uh, picked up by major talent agencies or TV networks. But again, it's creative services work to help this person uh, who's making video. Um, but it's just not that that person is a TV network. Now right. it's uh, another kind of video content. Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not. I'm not super current with the necessarily all the cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. But didn't the Kardashians launch an app? Yeah, a couple they did. years ago. Yeah. So a great example of you know YouTube sensations and all and creating content sort of in all those uh, odd places in the world. Obviously on broadcast as well. But their shift was, hey, let's create an app and crank out our own content more direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. They obviously still had to go through that chain called Apple and the App Store and all those those things. But great example, maybe there was some agency behind that move that came to them and said, hey, we see an opportunity for you to create an app yeah. that's going to allow you to distribute your content in new ways and monetize in new ways. I keep using that, that, and that, who had, that word. And who made the video to support that? I think that, that there are going to be a lot of new... Pub, we call them publishers or, con- or content makers in the space. Um, that's the great thing about OTT is that there's going to be, I think, increased fragmentation, meaning that there will be just more and more 
Uh, if you go back to you know, 30 years ago, there were three or 40 years ago, there were three networks. And then all of a sudden, there are 150 cable channels. Now there's, you know, I don't know how many apps are in the Roku stores, thousands, you know, thousands of those. That just means there are more individual services that are making video. And each of those services needs, um, you know, I think, help you know, on figuring out how to market and get engagement um, for, their, for their content. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Disney+. Plus. Of course, there's Apple. What's Apple's offering uh, called? What are they calling theirs? Uh, I think it's called Apple TV. Okay, it's just yeah. going to be called yeah. Apple TV. And it's it, it's interesting. If you think just several years ago, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then maybe Amazon, maybe Hulu. And that's sort of the – that was almost the OTT ecosystem at the time. Mm-hmm. And there were a few other, you know, uh, the crackles and some other oddballs. Now you realize, hmm – Maybe that that the chink in the or the, the the in the armor is starting to show that now Netflix is going to continue to evolve and shift because when a Disney Plus shows up, when Apple TV shows up, I'm asking is that is that it or is that trend going to continue? In your opinion, are we going to see many more Disney Pluses and Apple TVs? Is that your is that your sense? Yeah, I think that we're going to see uh, what happened in the print business and the record business happened in television that basically all of the content that was distributed on one platform is now going to move to a new platform and the there will be some legacy brands that will continue to dominate but there will be a creation of many new brands a perfect example is you know, when we went from broadcast to cable the some of the traditional broadcasters were had a big place i mean when cable uh, happened you know it was abc cbs nbc before cable then after well, NBC Universal. NBC had a lot of cable networks. They're still around. They didn't. They 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 were still a big player in the cable world. Um, ABC was a big player in the cable world. They were bought by the Walt Disney Company and then became you know what we call Disney ABC Television, which includes ESPN and Disney Channel. So that company is still a big deal in in cable. But they got pretty heavily disrupted at, at going through that. That was a major yeah. transition. They got they got disrupted so much that they had to merge or sell themselves to the Walt Disney Company, which then created a whole another. Adventure, mm-hmm. and then likewise CBS, which was a big broadcaster when the cable transition came, they um, evolved and and ended up becoming actually bought by a company called Viacom, which then uh, created a whole bunch of cable networks, and then they split from Viacom, and now they're talking to get back together. So, <laughs> a lot of the original players are still in cable, and I think when we get to you know the mature part of streaming, you'll see vestiges of a lot of the old players, I mean, whether it's Warner and Disney and um, NBC, will still be part of that world. But like in the cable era, there were new companies that were birthed. Scripps was birthed. Mm-hmm. Discovery was birthed. You know, A&E was birthed um, in a lifetime. So there, there are going to be new companies, or CNN probably was the biggest, and Turner was birthed in the cable era. So I think in the streaming era, yeah, there will be, whether it's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, some other ones, there will be companies that just came out of nowhere, and they will populate the streaming landscape along with some of the legacy uh, companies that will make it through the, the transition. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. We're talking mostly about entertainment companies and that how... And some of these are technology companies that are in the entertainment space, right? Like mm-hmm. Netflix is sort of a technology company that happens to be a huge, huge player in entertainment. What about brands, generally speaking? And I'll point to a, a few darlings. So for, for a long time, people were talking about Red Bull. For a long time, people have been talking about Marriott. Okay, these are brands that I would say 
woke up one day and said, I think we need to be a content network of our own. Now, they didn't necessarily have the distribution when they, when they made those moves. But increasingly, obviously, Marriott can have an app. They can crank out content direct to their, their uh, customers and so forth, someone like a Red Bull. Do you think that is also a trend? And is, that, is it connected to the entertainment industry? Is it separate? Is that, is that something that we should be watching because there might be opportunities there to help to bring creative services to bear on all these brands that are waking up and saying, I think we need to be a content network? Yeah, I think that that, that the, the one thing that streaming technology creates is the opportunity to do that for a much lower cost. So if you were Red Bull or Marriott you know, 15, 20 years ago you wanted to create a cable network, the barriers to entry in terms of getting cable operators to give you carriage, to set up you know, your satellite transmission facilities, it's just it was much harder, in fact, to set up an advertising sales staff and team. It's just a much bigger uh, undertaking. And today, it's you, know, you can go to companies like Vimeo and have an app up in a week. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and then you can do programmatic advertising that's just auto- fully automated. So you can get your business going much uh, much more easily. So I think you will see more people saying, I mean, Pinterest is talking, is, I guess it's just started to introduce video on their site. House has had original video for a little while and is starting to do more. Uh, Airbnb, uh, there was an article a few months ago that they're looking at creating video for um, uh, vacation travel kind of video for their for their site. Uh, you know, GoPro has been doing video. You mentioned Red Bull. So I think you'll see people that have you know, brands that have a lot of digital touch points with consumers saying, if we add video to our 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 arsenal, can we get deeper engagement with consumers? and sell more product, and, uh, um, and we'll say, hey, that makes sense. Well, I can't help but think if I, was, if I was running an agency and I looked at some of those brands that you mentioned, and I said, wow, look what Airbnb is doing and House and all these folks. Sure, I could go talk to them, but the interesting question might be, who are their competitors that are, that are the challenger brands mm-hmm. that are much smaller, that nobody's heard of, that are waking up today and saying, we've got to compete with Airbnb. How are we going to become a content network and beat them at their own game? And that's where I can't help but wonder: Are there opportunities there? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think the the exciting thing in that space too is that a lot of these players have you know, deep pockets um, in terms of capital, but not as much experience in in video, and especially in video branding and marketing and creative. So that's uh, you know, I'm just off the top of my head. I was just thinking about a company like WeWork that's like it's getting ready for their IPO. They're going to have you know, flushed with cash. Would WeWork, you know, <laughs> want to create their own TV kind of channel that runs in all their WeWork locations? Like it's some sort of maybe business information service that runs in all WeWork. Right. Lo- um, you know, those are just ideas just off the top of my head. You know, a bunch so. of people just bookmarked at this point in the podcast because <laughs> they heard the term "flush with cash." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Ooh, maybe I should call those people." That's actually, yeah, that's a great example um, of, of mm. yeah, sure. What if if you as a creative person, as an agency, studio, production company, if you can bring leadership and guidance to a, someone like a WeWork and say, we see an opportunity to take you here, but you're not an entertainment company yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not a video and content company yet. We can help you get there. Uh, we'll be the guide. You'll, we'll make you the hero. I can't help but think there's going to be so many opportunities in, in just the 
the immediate few years ahead of us. Yeah, I think the part, too, that's challenging for uh, agencies is that you know, when you're in a more mature business, you're used to just taking the order in a way, kind of yeah. going to your clients and saying, okay, when's your upfront? Okay, when's your new fall campaign? And just sort of doing what you've always done. This is a little scarier because this is sort of really figuring out or helping people figure out what the future is going to be and being more of a consultant and suggesting ideas that will then hopefully lead to, you know, lead, lead to work. But it's not, uh, it's, it's harder. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Because I do, I would, first of all, I would agree that in general, when, when a when a market matures, the you know the the efficiency tends to sort of squeeze out all of the innovation and opportunity, and we things get commoditized. But when a new market emerges and it's a wild west, the the opportunities are are huge. But you might bet on five or ten different horses, and only one or two win. Yeah. So you have to be prepared to. You can't just say, I'm going to only go talk to WeWork. You have to say, I'm going to go talk to 10 WeWorks and know that only one or two of them are going to somehow matriculate, turn into an actual opportunity. And that process, you nailed it with the word, it's actually a consultative process. It's not you just show up and hawk your wares and say, hey, we do video. Do you you want to buy some? Yeah. Right? So how, how do... I mean, if I need to learn how, how do I become more consultative and identify those opportunities? Well, maybe what I do is I follow you on, on LinkedIn. I start <laughs> tracking well, some of the thought leadership that you're publishing. And, and do you have any other suggestions or resources that you might tell people, hey, keep your eye on these things and or follow these resources or read that book, those kinds of things? Oh, yeah. There are there's some good com bloggers or writers that, you know, they, they put, whether it's on Twitter or on their own uh, sites. There's a guy named Matthew Ball that I really love to read his Twitter feed. Uh, uh, Alan Wolk is another one I'll give a shout out to who's, who's who has, has a site called TV Rev um, that talks a lot. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Kirby Grimes who has a uh, a newsletter that's really good. Um, yeah, just just check out our our my LinkedIn feed. You'll see you'll see I link to a lot of articles uh, of people who are just talking about changes in the industry and where things are going. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I think the, the the big thing to just keep in mind is track where you see the eyeballs going. Uh, we see it all around us, and you know that just look at the people around you. They when they used to be watching. You know, um, Channel Five or watching Annie, and now you see them watching, you know, Instagram Story, or you're seeing them watching video on, you know, Amazon or some other some other site. So it's just, and actually these things are popping up so quickly too. They like TikTok came out of nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. people are watching tons of content on that, and now brands are going there, and people are talking about helping TikTok creators create even higher level content and to, uh, and figuring out better ways to monetize it. So it, it it's moving fast, but just pay attention to what people are engaging with. Well, there's a there's sort of an underlying optimism that I appreciate in what you're saying because <clears throat> uh, it, it's not that the... Or I'll use the cheese analogy. It's not that the cheese went away or that's even going away. It may be getting sliced thinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps, uh, and it's certainly moving, but it's not going away. It It's actually growing because the number of eyeballs and the amount of engagement is just continuing to go up. And as, is that... Is that trend still solid for the foreseeable yeah, yeah, future? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I guess it happens whenever there's a big you know, um, change in 
in in the transition in industry because you talked about being sliced smaller um, in the early days. There's you know, there's a it's chaotic and it's a wild west and there's lots of small players and so you're, you're right. You you have to put your bets on many of them and then as time, over time it starts to consolidate into big into bigger players and then I think the slices get bigger. So we're in that period where there are lots of small places to go and so uh, they're probably as a company yeah that that's 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 tricky. Uh, maybe in five or ten years it'll consolidate and there'll be like, you know, Netflix, I don't know, Disney app. There'll be five big places to go and then you'll just go there and get these huge million dollar orders. Right. Um, but for now, it's like it was in the early days of cable. It's like, a, yeah, it's like a pendulum that swings back and forth between, I guess, fragmentation and consolidation. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Some sort of a, and, and then maybe that trend is right now is heading towards fragmentation even further, but at some point it will swing depending on what the world economy does and because i can imagine in the early days of cable it was this uh it was the same way there were many many small upstart cable networks all doing their own branding campaigns and promo campaigns and you had to go one you know knock on it and we remember when i started food network we were an independent company before scripts bought us so you had to go knock on our door and then HETV was another independent company you have to knock on their door and then after a few years these companies all get swallowed up into you can just go to scripts or you can just go to discovery or you can right. just go to viacom right. so, so i think that we're in that stage too well this year has been an interesting conversation um I, and i <clears throat> i really appreciate you bringing your your experience and, and expertise to bear and sharing your thoughts. If people, if they, if they do want to keep up with you, what is the best way to, to, to follow you or, or learn, I would learn say more follow, about what you're up to? Um, follow me on LinkedIn, just under, uh, uh, if you look up Michael Smith, if you put it, put in Michael Smith OTT, I think I'll be the, the one that pops up <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, first. And, uh, the, 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 the consulting, you know, one man band, I call it Michael Smith media. Uh, but but yeah, but follow me on LinkedIn. You'll I post probably you know, four or five times a week, and uh, and that, and you can and follow, you can click follow or 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 send me a mess, a connection a LinkedIn connection. I think it's by well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your feed because anytime something pops up, I immediately think, oop, better better see what that's about because it really is it's really valuable and insightful. Um, briefly, what's what's next for you? Like when you're looking ahead, um, what's what are you excited about personally in terms of where you're where you're going or what you're up to next? Well, the two things that I am most excited about are, one, this overall shift in how people are watching. And so the opportunities that that's going to create, I really think that they're, we're just at the 1.0 level where um, we have these big box mega streamer companies as the sort of version one. But I think version two is going to be a lot of more niche uh, streaming services targeted at passions. And that super serve passions. Think about the analogy in the e-commerce business where you have Amazon sort of serving the mass uh, needs of people. But then you have a lot of these deep, what they call D2C companies that super serve specific niches. If you want you know, glasses, it's Warby Parker. Or if, if you want underwear, it's Mack Weldon. Or if it's you know, mattresses, it's Casper. And they do what Amazon does, but even better than Amazon because they really super serve that particular niche. And I think in television, there's going to be a new wave of streaming services that say, okay, great. Netflix tries to do everything, but you know, if you really, really, really want to get into food, that this service does that even better. If you really are into crime, this takes you much deeper into that. If you're really into romance movies, this one takes you into that. And I think that's the next wave of, of streaming services that are going to, to complement the, the big box ones. And so I'm excited about whether it's uh, as an uh, advisor or an entrepreneur, uh, a consultant, there are a lot of these sorts of 
businesses that are being thought about right now, and some of them even in, in development stages. That that uh, and some of them I've been, I'm involved involved in. So that that's exciting. And then the second uh, big wave I see is the uh, growing diversity in in the country. When you think about the fact that 42 percent of all people 18 to 40 to 50, um, 18 to 55 are uh, diverse, and of all the children in America um, under the age of 12, over 50 percent of them are diverse. The audience is really changing, and um, and you're starting to see a lot of content take advantage of uh, diversity. And I think, and I think it's a really interesting. It's a different uh, expression than it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago when we had BET or Telemundo, where, where it was much more siloed. And we thought, okay, the way to deal with diversity is having these specialized networks that target diverse audiences. I think in the future, it's going to be more the "this is us" model. Or, or the, the recent Lion King um, model, where it's more about inclusion. It's more that content uh, is more reflective of the way America is today. And so I think companies that make content like that are going to see amazing success. Uh, and uh, they're, uh, so that's something that I'm really excited about. And I think streaming is a great opportunity to do that because it allows you to create content uh, that's more targeted and more niche, and so so and more inclusive and more inclusive. So so those are the two things that I uh, I do you know I do a lot of consulting and, and, and thinking about myself. And, well, I'm 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 likewise excited. I'm, it's it's cool to hear the the direction that you're going, and I'm I'm going to be excited to to follow your feed and see how it all develops. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for being uh, thanks for being on the podcast, and I'm gonna I'm gonna promptly go to your feed again and read your latest post. Did you post something today yet? Uh, I only, I think I commented on something this, okay. <laughs> this, this morning. Uh, I can't remember what it, what it was. It might have even been something political. That's one of the things that the, it's tricky on LinkedIn because the great thing about LinkedIn, back to your thing about branding, mm-hmm. is you know we have some big social media platforms, but they are starting to establish their brand perceptions. Like Facebook is sort of, I guess, friends and family. Twitter is sort of uh, ranting and raving. <laughs> um, and then LinkedIn is more like, uh, you know, button up, uh, um, you know, shirt and tie. Yeah. So I think what I think is great, although LinkedIn is starting to push video a lot more. So actually mm-hmm. back to your point about Disruption and, and opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that they, I think they're seeing themselves becoming a video location for informational and inspirational video related to, to the business space. And I wonder what they're thinking. And uh, are they, I know that I think they are hiring more video people internally. And so. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you just, so we just heard Michael, I think, ask sort of the, the million dollar question is, I wonder what they're thinking. Yeah. Right. That's really a great question to ask when you look out into the world and say, well, what are, what are they thinking? And how can I help them answer that question and solve that problem? Yeah, I, I think that's true. <laughs> well, thanks again, Michael. Really great to have you and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, great, Joel. Thanks for having me. You got it. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today. 
at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com community. I look forward to seeing you there.